Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finished number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey, this Brian's up. Summer is finally here, and if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. Andy ro- rocking and rolling on the drum kit. There's no doubt about it. Just tell me when Mark's ready to go, He's and ready. we'll go. Mark Bittman, how you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on, ladies and gentlemen. A new original podcast, Food with Mark Bittman. Is it? It's Acast. Is that correct? Acast podcast. Acast is the is the network, but you know podcasts. None of us understand how they work. Um, well, that's true. Well, you're but right usual, it's available for, through Apple and Spotify and all the usual platforms. Right, exactly. Mark Bittman is the author of 30 books. Oh, no, that's too bad, Mark. I only interview people who have done 31 books. 
31. <laughs> <laughs> he might be a 31 now. That's good. Mark Bittman is the author of 30 books, including How to Cook Everything series and the number one New York Times bestseller, VB6, Eat Vegan. Now, Alex, you're going to want to jump on this one. VB6, eat vegan before six to lose weight and restore your health. What do you think about that, Alex? Eat vegan before six. Uh Uh-huh. Before 6 a.m., I'm on it. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can get up at uh, like five to six and have a carrot and you're good to go. Uh, That's that's an interesting plan. VB, I'm sorry to kind of dwell on that, Mark, but I'm fascinated by that. VB6, eat vegan before six to lose weight and restore your health for good. I love that whole take. He was the uh, food journalist and columnist, uh, opinion columnist, and the lead magazine food writer at the New York Times, where he started writing in 1984 and stayed for 30 years. I want to hear all about it. what's the latest, Mark. So you're doing podcasts, you do television, you do write, they books, you get, you got it all covered. Well, the podcast is is the latest thing we're doing, and the reason we want to do it is, um, you know, podcasts are incredibly popular. Most of us listen to them, they're convenient, they're varied, um, yep. and so on. And we had this opportunity to do one, and no one is doing the kind of thing that we do, which is talk about food, all aspects of food. So we do recipes, but we also interview people about food policy, about farming, about uh, nutrition, um, and we, we also talk to people who are not really in the so-called food world, but everyone is interested in food. So no matter who you talk to, I mean, even this conversation, for example, people will have opinions about food. Everybody's an expert. Everybody knows what they're talking about. And we want to get a variety of voices in a way that no one else does talking about food on the podcast. I love it. Mark, I, one of the things that just popped into my head, and I've never asked anybody else this. I brought up the point before. I was uh, born in Long Prairie, Minnesota, moved to Minneapolis when I was like a year old, um, and grew up in, in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I will tell you this, uh, you know, so I, I just remember eating at restaurants in the 60s and the 70s. And at that time in, in the Twin Cities area, there were about three good restaurants. There's a nice Italian place. There was a couple of good steakhouses, three or four good restaurants. Yeah, it's pretty bleak. Now, Mark, there are so many great restaurants in the state of Minnesota, you can't even count them. What happened in the 70s where it woke everybody up and said, you're doing it wrong. This is how you need to do it. Did, did something specific happen, Mark? I mean, I think that we saw that food was moving in the wrong direction. And, and oh, okay. uh, originally, the organic thing was not a joke. I mean, it was people who were serious, who were saying, let's try to grow food right, and let's try to treat the land right. And that translated to, let's try to treat eaters right. And people realized that, and I think began to eat better, began to look for better ingredients, began to cook from scratch again, which is something that sort of disappeared in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, mm-hmm. and has made something of a comeback. Uh, I, I think it's just a gradual, it's been a gradual metamorphosis. Restaurants are restaurants are one good sign, but another good sign is the number of farms and farmers that are, that are growing food right, mm-hmm. and the number of home cooks who are carefully shopping and look for, looking for ingredients that that are grown right and that and that are high nutrition and and unprocessed 
So that makes sense, Mark, that, that basically one of the biggest reasons so many more great restaurants exist in the Twin Cities is because the way the food's being grown and processed is much better than it used to be. That, that's one of the huge reasons. Is that correct? I think that's right, but I also think it's just that people are more aware of what good food is. I mean, it's yeah, when, yeah. it sounds like we're about the same age. In the 50s and 60s, people just didn't think about it. It was all about convenience and how fast can you get it on the table and can you just use a can or combine a couple of things from cans. And certainly there's still people doing that, but fewer. More people are interested in what can I buy that's really good and how can I eat it in a great way. Yeah, I mean that's there's no question about that. One of my, I think the first one that I ever went through I was, I've been in radio now for 51 years. Um, we and this podcast has been on uh, what it'll be 10 years in August. That's right, Andy. Correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, 10 Whoa. years in August. So, so we've been doing radio and, and podcasting for a long time. And, and the thing about it is, before then, I grew up not the whole hell of a lot of money in the family. And I do remember sitting. I'm just doing a comparison between today. And 1970, 1970. So I, I was being a nighttime disc jockey at uh, KSTP, local station in town. And one of the disc jockeys said, hey, let's go out to dinner after your show. I said, hey, sounds good. Okay, we'll go. He said, I'll buy. I said, okay. So we went to a hotel in town. It was a Sheraton at the time. It's no longer there. We had this wonderful dinner. And now you have to remember, I had just gotten this job, and I came from a very poor family. So I looked... When he went to the bathroom, they brought the bill, and I looked at the bill, and we both had this wonderful steak dinner. It was very, very good, a couple of a couple of glasses of, of wine and all the rest of it. And I remember the bill was $40, Mark, and I said to myself, if I ever make enough money to pay $40 to go to dinner, man. Right, Mark? You know what I'm saying? You know, the problem was... The problem was that by the time you made enough money for that $40 dinner, the dinner was $150. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly right. Now it's, it's 40 my... bucks for a steak at a restaurant. Mark, we were ju- we just right. took the grandkids to to Disney World. We had dinner uh, for four adults. Alex was with us, Catherine, her buddy Dana, and me, and then a couple of a three- and a five-year-old who didn't eat. They ordered something. The bill at Disney World was $400. And the food was dismal. Horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Dismal. The uh, German place was pretty good. We went back to Germany, and that was delicious. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was good. But, Mark, honest to God, I'm so glad you reacted the way you did. From $40 to $400 in one 50-year period. Yeah. (laughs) And that's one of the reasons that I like to encourage people. I have nothing against restaurants, but I have so much more control over what you do when you cook at home. and obviously, it's so much less expensive. And when you go out, you relinquish everything. You don't know where the ingredients are coming from. Your choices are limited. And you don't even know, you really don't know what you're eating or how it's been prepared. I'm not saying right. people shouldn't eat in restaurants, but I am saying home cooking should be the foundation of a good diet. It is the foundation of sure. a good diet. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, well, we've talked about that. It absolutely is. I mean, if, if if we're on the road and I'm eating in restaurants, my body just goes into revolt. Yep. <laughs> After three or four days, it's like, I feel terrible. I need much, to go yeah. home and eat non-salty food. Mm-hmm. It just right. makes a huge difference to cook at home. Yeah. I have the same experience. You just want to go home and cook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no doubt about it. Is it still true, Mark, That because uh, a lot of people, Anthony Bourdain was one of them that said, don't kid yourself, if you're eating at a restaurant, you're eating a lot of salt and butter. Oh, God, That's what yeah. you're eating. Yeah. 
Well, one of the reasons that you cannot possibly make risotto at home as good as you get it in restaurants, I mean, you can, but you have to use what looks like unconscionable amounts of butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. There you go. How did you get uh, so interested? Were you interested in, in food as a child? How, how did it how did it appeal to you? And at what age did it appeal to you to say, I wanted, this is what I want to do? I mean, it, it sounds like we're exactly the same age. And back in the 60s, I grew up in New York, so I was exposed to you know, a lot more food than you were, I think, of different kinds. It wasn't yeah, all that sure. great, but there was a pretty wide variety um, and when I went off to Massachusetts, where the food was pretty abysmal in the late 60s, early 70s, I kind of started cooking out of self-defense. It was just like, I probably can do better than this. And I started shopping, and I started learning how to cook. I mean, I remember the days where I would literally be the only man in a supermarket except for, like, the sales. Sure. I mean, it was sure. all housewives and me, but I was learning about shopping, and I was learning about cooking. And as I did it, it just, I really liked it. I took to it. I did better and better at it. And then when I started writing about it, one thing led to another. You might say my career and my hobby fed off themselves. Uh-huh. Um, fed off <laughs> get, each other. get it? <laughs> get it? And, um, <laughs> and then I started getting paid to write about food. So that was 1980, 1982. So it's been a good 40 years that I've been doing it now. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. I hope you like this story very quickly. Uh, just a couple of years ago on this show, the podcast here with the family, Frank Pellegrino came on and we were talking about this, that, and the other thing. And I said, live on the air, I said, Frank, is there any chance you think I could get a table at Rayo's? And he goes, no. <laughs> so, so that was the end of the that was the end of that the conversation, right? No, there's not a way you can forget it. Go to Vegas. Go to the one in Vegas. All right. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, it just that's a huge part of it too, for me. <laughs> one of the biggest parts of food for me would be the company. To meet, uh, you know, to go to dinner with your family, to meet up with friends, to have dinner with somebody you haven't seen in a long time. That's a huge part. I grew up a nice Catholic boy in North Minneapolis, and and you know, family meals were a huge deal when we could have them. But but going out to dinner with friends and family is just it's just a wonderful thing. It's one of my favorite things to do. I totally agree. I mean, I I do think I prefer. Again, I'm going to sound anti-restaurant, but I like that home. I like that yeah. home cooked meal more. I, I trust the food more. I know I'm not overpaying. There's more flexibility. You can go sit on the couch. There's just a lot of different options. No, no, yeah, well, that's exactly right. You do kind of, there's a nice flow to those uh, in-house dinners. There's no question. Whereas uh, in a restaurant, you can't do that, but but at somebody's home, it's you're right. It's a great experience, no doubt about it. I want to hear a bit about some of the lecture series that you do. Uh, Mark Bittman is currently Special Advisor on Food Policy at Columbia University's Melman uh, School of uh, Public Health, where he teaches and hosts a lecture series called Food, Public Health, and Social Justice. What's that all about, Mark? Well, we've had a variety of, a variety of speakers on a, on a whole wide range of topics, and it goes back to what I said at the beginning, that food is not just about enjoying yourself. It's not just mm-hmm. about you know, eating until you're full. It's about how do we treat the earth? How do we treat farmers? How do we nourish ourselves? How do we make sure that other people are nourished well? And we spent a lot of time talking about those things at that at that lecture series that we've had 
farmers, we've had policymakers, we've had politicians, we've had nutritionists and other health experts, doctors who specialize in chronic disease, diet-related chronic disease especially, and so on down the line. And um, I've been doing it on and off for, I started doing it in Berkeley. I was living out there in 2015, and I've been doing it on and off since then. And we've had an incredible variety of, of really great people. Sometimes it's just one person giving a lecture, and sometimes it's a panel of, of several people. Um, and we do it, we try to involve the community. We do it uh, mostly in the, in the wintertime, uh, November to February, November to March. And, um, yeah, it's really been good. Thank you for asking about that. No, I, I think it's very, very important. I love the title, Food, Public Health, and Social Justice. It's a great title, actually. Well, you know, if you, if you think about food, food is about so much more than just eating. It is about, again, how we treat the earth, and that relates to climate change, of course. It relates to yeah. land use, who gets to own land, and, and what they do with it. It relates to nutrition and food sovereignty and food security, nutrition security, who gets to eat well and who doesn't, and so on. There's so many topics we can talk about when we talk about food. And, and I've done that in the lecture series. And, and again, that's what we're trying to do on the podcast, is to bring out all of those different, all of those different issues. It's such an important part of our lives, and I think it, it is definitely around the world, but in America... One of my most exciting moments, I do remember, in 1977, at the age of 25 years old, I got a job as the, uh, the head of promotion for Capitol Records in the Midwest, and along with that title, became, I got an airline travel card and an expense account. And let me tell you, I learned how to eat after 25 years old, Mark. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, pal. <laughs> Just you know, going to Saint, going to Tony's in St. Louis, or going—I could run down a whole list of the entire, you know, from New Orleans all the way up to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the Central United States. That's another huge part of it for me, Mark, is the the the, the memories of going to dinner. Uh, like I said, whether it's in Chicago or St. Louis or New Orleans or whatever, that's a huge part of of meals for me. So a huge part of food for me is the memories you had and the people you ate with. It's a huge part for me. Yeah, food is obviously really important to everyone, and it is our. It is. Um, it's the main source of pleasure that we talk about. I mean, we don't talk about sex very much, and right, we don't talk right. about sleeping, which all of us enjoy. But food, we talk about all the time, and it's something that we all share. There's no exception. Everybody shares a relationship with food, and to the extent that we enjoy it, we can talk about it. This is really an important thing. Yeah, and, and the great thing about that now, particularly now, I mean, it's been many, many years, but in 2022, you can, uh, Catherine is, is here with me, and we've been together for 42 years, and uh, you want to go out to dinner tonight, we go to dinner. You don't want to go out to dinner tonight, what do you want to do? Um, you grab something very quick, you grab something to cook at home. There are many, many different levels and many different ways to have dinner and I love that when Catherine and I talk about, well, why don't we do this, this, and this, and then tomorrow night we'll go to Restoration Hardware and have dinner. But, you know, I, I love that part of it, too, the, so, the social part of it, you know, right? I mean, I, yeah. I guess you don't mean eating dinner at Restoration Hardware. Well, actually, they do have a, a in, in West Palm Beach and in, right? Dynam, in Dynam, Minnesota, they have great restaurants at Restoration Hardware. They do. Well, I never knew that, huh? Interesting. Oh, the food's good. 
Mark, you'd love it. The food's terrific. Catherine, wouldn't, don't you think it is it? really good, and it's, it's not really it's not too salty for a switch. As a matter of fact, Mark, this will show you exactly how old I am, food. and then you can say if you and I are the exact same age. Because tomorrow night, Catherine and I are going to Restoration Hardware for dinner, and we're going to see Johnny Mathis. <laughs> what do you think of that? I mean, I can't believe he's alive. To tell you. <laughs> I know. I didn't even. I know. Tom's like, do you want to go see Johnny like Mathis? Years old when he was singing. Right? I know. I was like, is he alive? <laughs> sure enough, he's I still singing. He I just, but see, that's exciting. You go see one of the people that you were a little, little kid, like you said, nine years old, listening to, to listen. I've never seen him. So I'm looking forward to that. But, but that's a huge deal. You can't go to a, you cannot go to a concert without either having dinner before or afterward. Dinner's still a... If you're going to a concert, you're going to go out to dinner, in general, I think, aren't you? Yeah, that's true. I mean, in the old days, we didn't do that. When we were, no. when I was really young, we'd just go drinking or smoking pot or whatever. But now, <laughs> yeah. We Boy, Mark, we, um, we are the same age. Very excited about this Johnny Mathis thing. <laughs> oh, you should, come, you should come and you'd have a great time. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Bittman's here, Johnny Mathis... <laughs> It'll be fantastic. <laughs> but it, but it's the culture, the American culture, whether it's, hey, why don't you come to my, well, for, for my birthday, November 7th is my birthday, and the mayor of South St. Paul, Jimmy Francis, invited us over, and this boy and three of his friends, well, his wife, his, uh, his in-laws, they stayed in the kitchen and cooked up this dinner, exactly what you're talking about, eating at home. My God, what a thrill. Wasn't that great, Catherine? Yes, absolutely. It was just a wonderful time. So I know exactly what you're talking about, eating, just sitting down at someone's uh, dinner table and eating dinner. That's that's a very, very touching and nice time, too, no doubt. Yeah, maybe once COVID yeah. leaves, we can go back to the dinner party. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah how is that, Mark? Sure. Has, has that affected? That. Yeah. So has it affected your life quite a bit, the COVID thing and not being able to go to people's houses to have dinner and all that whole deal? I mean, we've relaxed a little. We live in the country, and it's... it's um, on a day-to-day basis, there's not that much contact with other people unless you want there to be. And we've relaxed. We've relaxed quite a bit. And most of our friends are vaccinated, and we all talked about it. But what have you been doing this week? Can we get together? Is it safe? And so on. And um, I think it, it's been more more normal. It's still not normal, but it's been right. more normal. Right. I mean, I know people. I know someone who got sick last week, so it's still happening. But mm-hmm. but it's certainly seems to be approaching normality. Mark, I'm going to take about a three-minute break. Be right back. We can have you for another 10 minutes. Is that okay with you? It is. Okay, I just want <laughs> one tip off. Next time I do that, when I say, because you and I talk about being the exact same age and all the rest of it, next time I say, yeah, I went to my birthday on November 7th, you should have gone, God, that's my birthday. <laughs> 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 we'll right, be right next back. Time. Next time, Mark. We'll be right back with Mark Bittman right after this. Food with Mark Bittman on ACAST Podcasts. Right back with Mark after this. Dan Chesky's here from Dan's Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dance Outside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. 
Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington, or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Tom here, and I'm talking with Brad Huckle and Mike Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked before about how working with a community bank like North American Banking Company can benefit business owners. Do you have an example you could share with our listeners? Our customers at Homeco Insulation and Blaine have been banking with a big bank for many years, but suddenly their calls weren't getting returned and their banker was unresponsive to their business needs. You can imagine their frustration. They had a successful business, wanted to expand, and their bank cut them off. They were ready to move on from their big bank. When they were referred to us, we knew they wanted to work with a community bank that would be responsive and would take the time to understand their business and its needs. That sounds like a perfect fit. I know it can always reach out and not only talk to an actual person, but I'm talking to an experienced lender. They've told us the same thing, Tommy. Look, I know Brad and Mike, and I trust them with my banking. My whole family does. So why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Bittman, our very special guest. By the way, uh, your birthday you share with a good friend of mine named Tommy O'Brien. He's a big listener. Uh, he will love this segment. Tommy O'Brien and you have the same exact birthday. So that's all I have to say. Oh, you look but nice. <laughs> I did. I, I just want, well, you're about a year and a half older than I am, but a year and a half is nothing. There you go. Well, you, but, you, you were a factor. I was a very late bloomer, I have to tell you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I love this because I entered your name on Google. I searched Google with your name. Here's what I came up with. I really like this, actually. Mark Bittman, No Need Bread, Mark Bittman Recipes, Mark Bittman Pizza Dough, How to Cook Everything, Pancakes, Roast Chicken, Banana Bread, Bread. I love that list, Mark. That's a great list. Um, Well, we've tried, you know, over the years, it started with simple cooking, and then I was lucky enough to write How to Cook Everything, which really became a... A Bible of cooking for a whole new generation, and and that that gave me the ability to kind of write what I wanted to. And then I got into the food and environment and health uh, area, and that's when I wrote a book called Food Matters and BB Six, which you mentioned before. And mm-hmm. and then I started writing about food issues. I wrote, wrote the opinion column about food for the New York Times, and that gave me an opportunity to really focus seriously on the issues. And last, last year I published a book called Animal Vegetable Junk, which has done very well. And right. A survey of how food became what it is in the United States. And this year, Kerry Conan and I published the bread book and we launched the podcast. So I'm keeping busy. Keeping busy is good. 
Uh, another great uh, paragraph from the descriptor for Mark Bittman. Bittman has written for countless publications and spoken at dozens of universities and conferences. His 2007 TED Talk, What's Wrong with What We Eat, is almost 5 million views. He was a distinguished fellow at the University of California, Berkeley, and a fellow at the Union of Concerned Scientists. He has received not one, not two, but six James Beard Awards and an IACP Award. And that's not bad. Six James Beard Awards, pretty impressive there, Mark. Yeah, it's not bad. It's actually more than one ISVP award. Not that I'm bragging, but yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, awards okay. are nice when you win them. Um, everybody says it's been honored to be nominated, and it is. But once you're nominated, you want to win. So that's that's really cool. But really, I, what I've been luckiest is that I've gotten to write and publish and talk about the things that I think are important in food, and that's that's really been the the high point of my career. That is terrific. Now, growing up as a child, do you remember uh, your mother, your father? Were, were they good cooks? Could could they make a nice meal? I mean, my mother cooked largely out of love and obligation, but she was not that <laughs> my, interested in food itself. There like you my, go. My mom was the same way. <laughs> I mean, you had to appreciate it. She put dinner on the table every single night. And yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't think she volunteered for that job, you know, but there it was. And and I think I learned the importance of eating home-cooked food daily from her. And that's a big and, and really important lesson. So um, the fact that I became, let's say, a better cook than... She was is really because I took an interest in learning how to cook well. She just took that job and took it seriously. She wasn't a big eater, and, and it just wasn't all that important to her. But it was important to her that her family eat well, and, and she did a good job of that. No, see, I'm glad to hear that. Catherine, my wife here, will tell you, my mother, I adored my mother. But she couldn't cook a lick. I'm not at all. I'm not at all. Okay. Uh, I just, I've got two quick stories. Tell them the roast. You got to tell them the roast. Oh yeah. She would have us over for dinner, and she she would always make some sort of a roast, and it was just like shoe leather and just very bad tasting. And so I thought, well, maybe it's because she's buying like super cheap cuts of meat because she's, you know, she's used to not. She doesn't like to spend a lot of money. So we we brought over this beef tenderloin, and she was like, "Oh, well, thank you very much." And she cooked it, and it it still was like shoe leather. Well, it was a charcoal briquette by the time she was done <laughs> she with it. Just, there, she didn't like any, she didn't like any meat to have any juices whatsoever. No, no juice, no juice. <laughs> and then one time we were in uh, we were in Texas someplace, and they had these gorgeous avocados on this roadside stand, sure. yeah. and we had brought some back to. Our condo we were staying in, we made guacamole, and it was just the most delicious avocado in the whole world. So I went back to the stand and bought some more so we could bring them back home to Minnesota. And I brought one to to Toots, and she's like, oh, thank you so much. What is that? <laughs> so I know, it's, a, it's, it's an avocado. Oh, oh, that's really nice. And weeks later, we were over there, and I, I found it all shriveled up in, in the back of her refrigerator. <laughs> Well, she never ate a green food. No, no. No, no, no green. No greens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what was happening in that generation. It's really true. No, it is. You're absolutely right. That that, that was the greatest generation as, uh, you know, 
Tom Brokaw wrote the book, The Greatest Generation. They were, in, in my estimation, again, they were our parents, Mark, yours and mine, but they were the greatest generation. Those people did everything they could to deliver the United States of America the way we love it. You know, but they were great people, don't you think? Yes, but they didn't do a great job in moving the world of food forward, I don't have to no. say. But they <laughs> no, they priority. did not. So there you go. <laughs> that was your your job and my job, and I just it's so isn't it nice to be able to because I do love being on the radio and doing podcasts and all the rest of it. But isn't it nice to have, have locked in a profession that you absolutely it's just like you wake up in the morning and go that's what I do for a living. God, how wonderful is that? Yeah, well, that's what I meant when I said uh, you said it better than yeah. I did. But that's what I meant when I said really the great privilege is that I get to write about and talk about the things that yep. I care about and things that I think are important and it's it's really been a wonderful career for me. I think it's through well now we got it now you're now you're stuck. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to come on all the time. I love talking to you about these things because I, I just, I, well, like you said, we're about the same age. We've had the same experiences, tend to like the same things, uh, sit down at the, at the house and have a nice meal with the people that you love. And it's, there's nothing better than that, Mark. It's, it's the greatest thing of all time. Well, I'd love to come back. Let me know anytime. Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Have a great day, sir. It was a pleasure. My best to both of you. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Mark Bittman, ladies and gentlemen, a new original podcast, Food with Mark Bittman on ACAST Podcasts. I mean, this, this guy has won it all. I mean, I just sent him, uh, Alex, a, a recipe from his Twitter page, a dairy-free tempeh ragu lasagna. Uh-oh, Alex. I but love tempeh good. so much. All right, you make that and let, and have, let me have some. Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, here's a guy that has had four or five TV series. He's, he's yeah. won six James Beard Awards, the AICP Awards. He didn't say how many, but it was more than one. He's been a, uh, a fellow at Columbia, at uh, you know, all, Berkeley. Uh, you get on the. This guy has achieved everything he set out to achieve. And what does he like? He likes to sit down and have a sandwich. <laughs> Isn't that great? There you go. See, I do love that. I mean, you've got two kids now, and Andy, as soon as Ethan grows up a little bit, learns to talk and can just sit at the table with you guys, you aren't going to believe how much you love that, Andy. Seriously, to sit down with your family and eat is one of the great things in life. Why do you say so, Alex? Well, we actually just started um, doing this thing with the kids during meals because getting my children to sit isn't always easy. Well, no. And so we have a timer, a sand timer, and that keeps them there for like 10 minutes. But I'm like, okay, we need to kind of just, I was thinking about it and I was like, we don't ever have time. My kids aren't, we don't just sit and talk about like, how was school today? What, I mean, we talk about how was school today and everything, but it's always, you know, like, good. Who'd you play with at recess? Zachary and Adeline and like very minimal stuff. But then I was reading this thing about how when you sit down and actually have a conversation with them at dinner after school or after the day, that's when they can kind of have had time to process things and they'll actually share more with you. Mm-hmm. So we started doing this thing for breakfast and dinner. I got this. It's a There's a workbook and a card game. It's called Stop, Relax, and Think. And it's actually for autistic kids but um which my children are not autistic but i was like this just sounds like a really good thing for kids and people in general and it talks about like emotions and um 
problem solving and stuff like that. And so we do the workbook at dinner. And then the card game, like we pull these cards at breakfast and it's just opened up such fun conversations in the workbook last night when we did like five pages of it. And um, the last page was Sydney says, which is Simon says, but for some reason in this workbook, it was Sydney says. Sure. And we played Sydney says for like 40 minutes after dinner was done and they were just laughing <laughs> their heads off. It was hilarious. And so, yeah, like having the meals be a time of just sitting and no talking. No television. And, yeah, mm-hmm. sitting and talking and sharing about your day. And, and I mean, my kids don't watch much TV in general, but um, they're always just so busy, you know? Like, if you give them free time, they're just like, you know, this morning I woke up and I was making them breakfast and they created a beach on our, well, no. They woke up and they both got in princess dresses and then they created a beach in our living room with all these blankets and gathered every single pillow from the entire house and created this whole scene and everything. And then, you know, so my kids are just really, really busy. And so getting them to just sit and have a conversation is nice. Well, you grew up and I I grew up. I don't know about you, Tom. I don't think you did, but I grew up. Everybody had to be at at dinner. No. Nope. Everybody went out there. I mean, unless you were working, you and were ex, or were excused because you had an excuse like I'm having dinner at my friend's house or something. You were expected to be at the dinner table at 6:30. Mm-hmm. And there, there was just no ifs ands or buts about it and it was the only time that I spent any time with my siblings. Really? Yeah, I bet. I, I mean, because everybody yeah. was doing their own thing. Everybody was uh, different age bracket and unless you sat down at dinner you would have never seen their face all day long it was uh i think it was it's a great family tradition to sit down at a dinner table and have a proper meal yeah and and we had that in our house we sat down at the table and we ate unless it was pizza night then i think we did movie nights but yeah we always sat at the table and, and ate yep that's what we do too and it's yeah and it's funny, it's, nice. it's, yeah, and, like, learning about feeding children and making your kids not super picky has been really interesting, um, because I have so many friends whose kids are so, so picky, and the whole thing is just, like, you make them the meal, and you always have one or two foods on the plate that you know they're going to like, and then everything else is, like, this is what we made. If you don't want to eat it, you don't have to eat it, but you don't make other things, and so it's like it takes the pressure off of like why well, they have to be fed and they have to do this. And it's like your kids are going to eat, mm-hmm. you know, and like sitting and having the conversation about other things and whatever and then making food just kind of fun rather than like, you know, you have to eat your whatever or else you're not leaving this table kind of stuff. It's like they end up eating more and then they don't right. like my kids aren't picky eaters. Because I think that we, I've tried really hard to just make food exciting and not stressful, where I think a lot of people just do the, like, you know, finish your plate or you have to eat your broccoli to get dessert and that kind of stuff. And uh, Yeah, I, 
I agree. You guys weren't picky eaters. I think it's also because you're exposing kids to a bunch of different foods when they're young. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you're not just giving them, you know, chicken nuggets yeah. and, and applesauce. Yeah. yeah. And if that's what they grow up on, then that's what they're going to yeah. want to eat. Yes. Yeah. So that makes a huge difference, too, is just exposing them to things. Oh, definitely. Like, I remember you guys were eating things, and your friends were like, what? Yeah. You're having what? I know. Like, I, what? I think about that all... Artichokes. Oh, yeah. Couscous. Um, couscous. Couscous. I remember couscous oh, yeah. was completely couscous out was of like anybody's very scope. Well. I'm actually making couscous for dinner tonight. I love couscous. <laughs> yeah. You guys loved couscous. We did love couscous. <laughs> I know, but yeah, I, I think about that often, too. I'm like, I remember how some of my friends were just like, what are you eating? This is weird. And I'm like, with me being a vegetarian, we eat a lot of, you know things that I think a lot of kids don't eat. And so mm-hmm. I was thinking about that the other day, about how when Fawn and Sage start having friends come over for dinner, there are probably going to be a lot oh. of them that are like, what is this? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's, uh, that whole thing is wonderful, don't you think? Now, Andy, oh, Andy and Alex and Mom, you can all answer this. When can a baby actually sit up in the high chair for the first time? It, de- well, chair? Varies, it depends on, on how... Yeah, a lot of times kids are sitting definitely by sitting up, definitely by seven, eight months. Well, they are. Six okay. months yeah. is yeah, six months in a high chair. But no, but six months, six aren't. months unassisted is like early. generally the earliest. Yeah, mm-hmm. both both my kids were sitting by six months, but both my kids have always been ahead on like the large motor stuff. Oh so, yeah. So. Um, a lot of people start putting kids in a high chair because a high chair, they're like supported and you can put towel, like can, blankets and stuff around them. Yeah, and you can strap them in. Yeah. Um, so in a high chair, like five months at the earliest, I would say. Although you guys put Ethan in that thing really early. Well, that little chair he has. But I mean, it also like cradles him so he can't not sit up. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to say, like, you know, is this chair sitting them for them? Or are they actually, like, sitting up by their own volition? Yeah. But, like, sitting – one of the things that we followed, which a lot of people don't do, but, like, we followed you don't feed your kid until they can sit independently because it shows just a sign of readiness and their digestive system is matured enough and all this stuff. Right. Um, Because – and then it was just, like, they can sit in a high chair. And we also never did purees. Our kids have always fed themselves. And so that was just like a sign of they can sit in this high chair, they can grab the food, they can deal with it for themselves, and they've always eaten what we've eaten. And I think that that, like you said, Mom, is something that plays into why they're not picky because it was always just like, here's your beets and asparagus, baby, enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like as we're eating it, you know, as long as it was cooked where they could mush it enough with their gums. Then they've al- they've always just eaten what we've eaten exactly as it is. Like they've never had a special meal, you know. For, it's yeah, like I and I've always this for you. I've always said just try something. Just try yeah. two bites of it. You don't have to like it, but two to three bites because the first one is texture with kids. Yeah. You know, they're like, ugh, ugh. and the second time it's like, oh, then they can taste, sort of taste it, but they're still kind of dealing with the texture. By the third bite, they're actually tasting the food, and then after that, if you don't like it, fine. But most of the time, by th- Bite three, everybody's happy. We have my kids have this weird thing that they not with everything, but with some stuff. It's like like Fawn used to eat berries all the time, 
and then Sage became the berry kid. And now she will not eat berries hardly at all at home because she's like, Sage likes berries. He should have the berries. And I'm like, you can, there's plenty of berries to go around. But like if she, if I put them in her school lunch, she eats all of them. But at home, she's like, well, Sage is, is the one that likes berries. And then like cucumbers, Fawn eats, loves cucumbers. Every time mm-hmm. I give them to Sage, he's like, no. Fawn eats cucumbers. I'm like, you can eat cucumbers. Why are you? There's this giant cucumber. There's plenty. I don't know why they rugged individualists. Kind of had that thing where she thinks like only one person can do something. Yeah, it's like I like purple. She does. She's she definitely used to be like I, my favorite color is purple. Well, mine is too. No. no. Yeah, my no, person's favorite color can be purple. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah, she's not as well, she I was. One time there was like a toy that she had. And mom was looking at it, and Fawn was like, you can't look at this toy because I want to look at it. <laughs> right? I know. Which she just used doesn't to do make that. any sense I know. at all. She used to do that all the time. Kid it, logic. I think that must have been something to do with, like, having a younger sibling and figuring out how to, like, share your space and everything. I don't know. But she just, she's not as wild about that as she once was, which is good. Because now she's very into her favorite color and Dan's favorite color is purple and all this stuff. Yeah. And Have we taken yeah. a break? No, we got to oh. take it right now. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> well, we take like, wait a minute. We haven't break, had a break. We haven't gotten in between hours. Yeah. Right. Yeah, oh, we need to do okay. that right here, as a matter of fact. So we'll take a five-minute break, come right. We can start the second one at 12.15 and bring our guest on at 12.25, right? And Andy yeah. has a, you have a clip, right? I do. Yeah. Oh, cool. A clip, a clip at the beginning of our next episode? Uh, yeah, I got the clip, sure. and then uh, Wendy wants to call in. Sounds good. So we we'll be right back in those. five minutes with part two with the family. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the Walzer world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finished number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J-Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the motor sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, We're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. 
And plus the fact I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Hey, this Brian's up. Summer is finally here. And if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock. Clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. What do you think of that action is what I want to know. You know what I mean? Uh, i got to run this by you guys, and you can figure out for me what the hell this is all about because I don't get it. A woman attempted to glue her hand to the court during the Minnesota, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves versus Los Angeles Clippers play-in game at Target Center. Uh, arena security quickly grabbed the woman, got her off the court, and then cleaned the area. But it doesn't say why she did this. Attention. I'm sure she's an activist of some kind. Yeah, but it doesn't say in here what she was protesting or activating. Wendy, or I told you you need to use super glue. You can't use wood glue for these things. <laughs> yeah, Wendy. The hell's wrong with you? Gorilla glue. Doesn't... Yeah, I don't like basketball. You'd be more apt to catch me trying to like glue my hand to the penalty box at a wild game, but I'm not going to do that. A true Minnesotan. Yep. A true Minnesotan. It's all true. I so what's really going on, Wendy? Before. Oh, Mark Bittman? I really always listen to your guest. I love him. You know, you should have him on for a series, like, because um, Alex and I were talking, and I started this thing a few years ago where I had never been a big gardener because I tend to kill everything, but I've been getting better. I've been, like, watching YouTube videos, improving stuff, and now I'm to the point where the last two years I've started stuff from seeds, and it's actually working. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that although I do not cook from scratch all the time, I learned how to cook from scratch at a very young age because I was in 4-H for anybody out there that knows what that is, country kids. And it's, it really makes you appreciate your food. A meal is not just, oh, my God, I got to eat this and I got to run. Actually cooking from scratch makes you appreciate what you're eating. Maybe it's just me, but... Oh, no, yeah, I think that's very true. My my mother's uh, parents had this gigantic garden, and they canned everything. Um, they were, you know, farmers mm-hmm. before they were retired, and they just, they the thought of buying food at a grocery store, unless they had to, was just beyond them. Mm-hmm. They, had, they kept chickens and did all that stuff. Freeze- mm-hmm. I started freezing and dehydrating stuff because yep. uh, I just... I'm not going to take the chance of canning yet. It's like you have to, you have to have like the levels of things at each at a specific level. Otherwise, you know, you might poison people. It's like no, no, no let's just stick with freezing and uh, oh, dehydrating. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike Bilski's wife Jackie that... is an amazing canner. She oh, has yes. an entire really? canning oh, room. Gosh, yeah, the amount she of, loves yeah. to can and pickle things. Really. Yep. Thinking about getting oh. into that is just start like growing stuff and then, like especially um, if I could grow baby corn, that would be great. Because if, if you have sun, if you have sunshine, baby corn forever. 
Yeah, if you have sunshine and a giant fence, you can grow anything in Minnesota. Yeah. But I don't know how yeah. you grow anything with these stupid deer. Yeah, well, we don't really have deer. Oh, we have a yeah. lot of like rabbits and squirrels and stuff. Oh, like well, that, they, yeah, though. rabbits are very destructive to a garden too. Yes, yeah, you they have to are. have a really good fence, otherwise you're just battling the rodents. That's what I hear. <laughs> well, and yep. The way we the way we do it, we have two schnauzers in the backyard, so really we don't get a lot of issues with that. But uh, Oh, it, that's good. Our backyard, you you can't plant anything like actually in the ground ground in our backyard because our cul-de-sac was built on fill, so it's not really healthy dirt. Mm. So my oh. husband, God bless him, and it, and Alex has seen pictures of us. God bless him. He throughout the years, every Mother's Day, he builds me a new raised bed, like you know something oh. old that's like waste level raised yeah, bed. Those are nice. That are not to like bend down. I've got like. You know, we don't have a huge backyard, but my backyard is taken almost taken over by them, or it will be after he makes me the ones I want this year. And it's just kind of an experiment. Whatever I can't kill, then I, I freeze it. Or I had tomatoes all over the place last year, and I did a lot of uh, freezing. I had this crockpot tomato sauce recipe, and my husband, a lot of people, they notice. I mean, they're like, wow, this tastes really different. It's really good. What is that? And it's like, <laughs> that's a real tomato. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The last time. For Alex, one. Last time I had a garden, Alex, a proper of... garden, was in Maple Grove. Remember? And Alan Dorfman came over for dinner, and I said, do you want some salad? He said, no, no, I don't eat salad. I said, I grew all this lettuce. And all these ingredients. He said, oh, okay, I guess I'll have some. He, he asked for seconds and thirds. It really does make a difference. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it, it does. does. For yeah. real. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, and one thing that, one thing that Alex, can, Alex, you can do this for the kids. One of the reasons I started cooking, you know, when I was in 4-H was because um, my mom did this thing where my mom really encouraged it. And... For my brother and my sister and I, you know, once we hit a certain age, we would sit down and, you know, like with the kids, give a kid like one meal a month to sit down and, you know, sit, talk about what they want to plan and have them help you cook it with them. Like do the ingredient list and then have them help you cook it. And they can really take pride in the fact that, hey, look what I cook. Yeah, I had mom's health, but I mean, I was cooking meals like once a week for my whole family by age like 10 or 12. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Fawn loves helping. My brother used to order pizza a lot, but oh yeah, yeah. And if you give them that, if you give them that license and responsibilities, like I pick this, I help make it. Mm -hmm. That is a good idea. It gives them that sense of I really love to do it. Let's do it again, and it really encourages you. And is everything I cook organic and healthy? Oh no, 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 no. But is it all good? Yeah, absolutely. Last, See, I think that's wonderful. Last night, there were mushrooms in the dinner that I made, and Fawn and Sage have these kid knives. Um, and they both were helping me take the stems off the mushrooms and chop them up. And Sage helped me. I always, Fawn, um, chewed cucumbers in her lunch, and I have these little cutout things that turn them into, you know, like a flower or a bunny or whatever. 
just for fun. And Sage always likes to help me with that. And like, yeah, it's funny how something so simple, like I chopped up a couple mushrooms and then like Dan came up from work and we were eating dinner and both the kids were like, I helped with the mushrooms. Yeah. Aren't they good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's go. actually a recognized if, if it's, phenomenon. If it's fun, keep mm. the kids are going to want to keep doing it. Yeah. That's true. I don't know if I'd call chopping things fun, but uh, we're having for Brussels. a kid, it's fun. Yeah, we're having Brussels sprouts in our dinner tonight, and they love helping me with oh, Brussels yeah? sprouts because they peel off the outside yucky leaves, and then they chop oh. off the end, mm-hmm. and they think it's just the coolest well, I thing. I hate chopping Brussels sprouts so they can come over they whenever they want. would be happy to. They think That's it's the just a That's the only bad thing gas. about Brussels sprouts is that it takes so long to I know, cut and then you have this giant one. pile of leaves, yep. and you're like, well, You sure do. We have compost, is. which is nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We used to just throw it in the backyard for the rabbits. Oh, yeah. yes, rabbits would like They're that. They're like, mmm, tasty. Mm-hmm. Delicious dirt leaf. They don't care. Delicious dirt, dirt leaf. leaf. There they you don't go. care. That's what they eat they're, anyway. Yeah, they're rabbits. <laughs> That's their diet. It's mm-hmm. delicious dirt leaf. I like it. Wendy, thank you. You betcha. You guys have a great week. All right. Thanks a lot. Wendy, ladies and gentlemen, we'll take a quick break. Be Bye-bye. right back. Kelly, Ke- Kelly Thiel. It's been 11 minutes. Well, I know, but we're going to keep her on for a half an hour, so that'll be good. Oh, well, okay. That's why I wanted to do it this way. Right back with Kelly Thiel, ladies and gentlemen. Unapologetically glorious, the power of owning your story without shame or blame. Fascinating story coming up next with Kelly Thiel and the family. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. And we are back with Stretch's Picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah, and uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. 
Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. If you were like me and constantly finding yourself in weight loss mode, I have great news. Continuum is here. It's new and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They're upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation. Find out more today. Simply go to their website, Continuum Weight wellbeing.com or call or text them at 952-491-6527 and catch the Continuum team on my podcast on Thursdays, 11.15 a.m. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. We are back. Ladies and gentlemen, and you've got a bit of audio to play before because we've got a, a couple of minutes here before uh, Kelly. She uh, actually did call in. Oh, she did. Okay, so she did. It's just a couple of minutes anyway, isn't it? The clip. Uh, it's forty-three seconds. Oh, that's all, Kelly Thiel, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing, Kelly? Good. How are you doing? Marvelous. We're just going to play a little bit of an audio thing. You'll understand why we want to play it. And then we're going to talk to you uh, for the rest of the show about your experiences and your book. So, Andy, explain what the uh, audio is, and we'll go f- go forward with it. It's a clip from when Dana Gould and Gilbert Gottfried were on the show. I thought, oh, what God. was that? Probably four years ago, at yeah. least. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just been about a right. while. But, yeah, it's, um, Gilbert Gottfried died yesterday. Uh, he had the heart condition, oh. I think. 67 years old. Only 67, yep. 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 Very good guy. Play a little clip of him when he was on the show. All right, love it. Ron Palillo, another very famous guest. Oh, Ron. Yes, you know, he had the nose job. He looks. uh, Now, so he's not Anthony Weiner. He's He's, a different person. He's dead, actually. Right. I I loved when he died, and they did my favorite. Stop there! I loved when he died. I love when Ron Polillo died. <laughs> Certain things make me smile. Puppies. <laughs> a, a walk on a summer day yeah. and death of Ron Polillo. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dana Gould and... Uh, Gilbert Gottfried, I'm going to miss Gilbert. He was such a great guy, just a nice man. Quirky, no, no doubt oh, yeah. about it, quirky, but, man, he what a talent and just a great guy, and I miss him. Kelly, i got to tell you this very quickly. In the last uh, few months, we've lost uh, four comedian friends. Scott Hansen, who was a very good friend from Minnesota. Uh, then Bob Saget died. Then Louis Anderson died, and now uh, uh, Gilbert Gottfried has died. It's been a hell of a 90-day run, Kelly, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Awful, yeah. It is absolutely awful. Ladies and gentlemen, the book, Unapologetically Glorious, The Power of Owning Your Story Without Shame or Blame. I think I I really like the title, Kelly, because I think unless people own it without shame or blame, they're they're not being honest with themselves. You you did what you did. You do what you do and accept it and go forward. If you don't like it anymore, then you move on, right? Correct. And I think... The um, really it's so important to be brutally self-honest with yourself um, in order to move forward with anything. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, Kelly is a Nexium survivor. It's at NXIVM, uh, cult survivor, number one best-selling author, Kelly Thiel, best known for a role in the Nexium expose series, Seduced. I watched the show, Kelly. That was a great show. Really good. Oh, so glad you liked it. And I thought the best part about that was all the experts that we had on to really explain what was going mm-hmm. on. Yeah, with the ta- the branding and the tattooing and the this, and I have to have sex with this, you and that. I mean, the whole thing was just a, more me now. It was all about him, wasn't it? That was all about him. I mean, in any cult uh, or cult-like organization, you're going to have a charismatic leader who is narcissistic, and it's all about mm-hmm. them. Yeah. One thing I did love, Kelly, is he claimed to have an IQ of, what, 275, which is like 50 points higher than anybody in history? (laughs) Yeah, and he he claimed to be the third smartest man in the world, and uh, he had about 100 or 200 patents out there that never, you know, got through the process. But, yes, he made a lot of claims. So how were you drawn to them, Kelly? I, I just want to listen, sit back and listen how you were drawn to it, what kind of experience you had, and how then you got away from it. I would love to hear that whole story if you have the time to do it, Kelly. Yeah. Um, well, I've been a speaker my whole life. You know, from a child, I was very curious about spirituality, about how people led their lives, how they became better people, all kinds of things. So. I've tried a lot of different things. I've traveled all over the world. I was able to meet the Dalai Lama and um, travel to Tibet. Not to meet the Dalai Lama. I met him in San Francisco. But um, I got to do a lot of things, and I came to a place where I sort of felt like I hit a dead end. And I was feeling like I didn't really have a purpose. I was searching. And I came across this organization called um, Nixium. I was introduced by a friend. And I thought, you know, what the heck, Um, maybe I'll take some classes. You know, I did a little research on it, and there were some, I think Forbes had written an uh, an article about it, and there was some negative press, but everyone in the group, the organization of Nixon, told me, oh, you know, that's, you know, it's just baloney. They're just trying to get, make the organization look bad. So I went ahead and jumped in, took the classes, and I loved them. And the curriculum, a lot of the curriculum was really very helpful. I mean, it wouldn't. I mean, think about it. I mean, it really wouldn't uh, attract people if it weren't good uh, curriculum. So I got involved with the group. Um, I became a coach. I spent a lot of time within the organization coaching and helping people, enrolling tons of people. And I, over time, really became caught up in their narrative and their story and became brainwashed. And that's a lot about what my book is about is kind of that, how that process happens for people. And, of course, I didn't, like, wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to join a cult. I didn't know it was right. a cult until long after I left, when I really started doing a lot of um, research and, and then getting involved with the uh, documentary. Is it really difficult to get out? You know, it really is. Now, no one's stopping you from leaving. No one's holding right, you hostage. right. Um, but you, know, you have you have a lot of invested in you, you have a lot of emotional relationships. We're invested with the people. You're invested with yourself. You don't really want to say, "Oh my God, I just made this big mistake." Um, I wasn't at that place yet where I could actually be really self honest with myself. So oh my God, you, was it hard yeah. to get out emotionally? Yes, it was. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. You, did you ever follow their lead? And because I was noticing, you know, Kelly Thiel, you got the K and the T. You could you could come up with your own branding, and no one would notice that it's your your initials. That was so amazing that those people used their initials to brand <laughs> people, and nobody noticed. What was that yes. all about? Well, I think um, I only saw one brand myself after you know after leaving Nixium, um, oh, and true. I think that they were to- well. I know that they were told that it wasn't someone's initials. They were told that they were um, signs of the elements, right. and uh, that it had nothing to do with <laughs> anybody. Yeah, so people were taken off guard. I think when they figured it out. So it just happened to be his and then a woman's initials, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yes, Allison Mack. So it's oh, Kristen Aries, yeah. so K-R and Allison Mack, A-M, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cram, that's nice. I know. <laughs> it's, uh, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a really nice touch. But what kind of person starts a cult? I mean, they have to be like, they have to be... Oh, they have to have the it factor for people to want to follow them. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm not talking much because my allergies are so bad. Sorry. Mine are too. Oh, it's just awful right now. The spring is killing me. Anyway, so I mean, they have to. I mean, there there has to be a reason why people follow follow these people. There must be. A, it's a, is it a sexual attraction thing? Is it a is it a replacement for the father figure? Is it a, f- a family dynamic that wasn't working in people's lives and so this is better? Or how does it actually work to attract people into so a I cult? Think for everyone, yeah, I think for everyone it's different. And for this particular cult, you know, there was this mission of humanity, how to better humanity. So it attracted people like myself who were um, wanting to make the world a better place. And so if you believe in this mission that someone has, and then this person is built up by everyone else, so the narrative around this person is that they're the third smartest man in the world, and they're doing all these great things to help elevate humanity, you kind of get caught up in that story, and you start to believe it because you want to believe it. Like, I wanted to believe that there was someone out there that actually was trying to help humanity and that I was part of it. And so um, that was the attraction for me. Now, when I did get into therapy and we did a lot of talking, one of the things that we did break down was my family background to sort of see if that was the attraction. So I think for some people it could be. For me, it wasn't. I did love the community itself. I loved all the other members. I really felt like we had something special. So that was another part of the attraction for me, Okay. the belonging part. It's just always, it's just a question I always have when I hear about a cult. It's like, how does this dynamic work? That makes total sense. Thank you. Well, I suppose in a way it's like becoming friends with classmates. You're kind of in the same, like I went to, I went to Catholic school until eighth grade. So all my friends, Mm -hmm. because of where I went to school, were Catholics. I suppose in a way I was a member of a a cult Mm -hmm. without even knowing it, I guess. So you had something in common, right? You had that common yeah, yeah, bond. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, I mean, we all are looking to, to fit in. We all would like to be part of the whole situation. It's so funny, though, Kelly, one thing, as you go on in life, because I'm quite a bit older than you, I think, 
but I, I just, at some point in your life, you'll go, I don't care what anyone else thinks of me. I tried my best. If you like me, great. And if you don't, I don't care. I ultimate really, freedom, that ultimate is. Ultimate freedom, that is. That's exactly <laughs> right. So, Kelly, I don't know how old you are, but someday you're going to go, I don't care if you like me or not. Leave me alone. <laughs> It'll be great. Well, it's so funny. It's so funny that you say that because I've literally just arrived at that place. Yeah, so it's writing this good. book and doing, you know, the documentary, I had to, when the documentary first came out, like it was being screened at um, one of the producer, uh, director's home during COVID, and I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> she yeah. said, that's a little late, uh, stars are, it's done. And so I had that moment where I had to decide, do I want to run and hide, or do I want to just own this, man, just own it? And so I decided I was going to own it. And in in the ownership of my story, which has a lot of ups and downs, not just with Nixie, but my whole life, like everyone else, we all have. Mm-hmm. Our, it's not a linear process. We have so in that in the owning of it, I found this freedom of being able to say it doesn't matter what anyone thinks, right. because it just doesn't matter uh, it, because it's my story. And I'm owning it. But if I was running away from it and trying to hide it, then, then things would, it would matter what people thought. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. What you find out in life is as you go along, if if we like one another because of who we are, that's a wonderful relationship. If it's about something else, including a lot mm-hmm. of cults, it's about sex, no doubt, then it, it doesn't count as you accept me. You need something from me. Otherwise, you wouldn't have me here. That's not a friendship. That's not being part exactly. of the cult. It's being used. Exactly. And that's, and that's what was happening. We were all being used for different things, some for sex, some for, you know, work. You know, we all worked for free, some for um, resources. We were all being used for something that ultimately went to Keith. He was the, ult- the person who ultimately benefited from all of it. Um, and it's all about control. And sex happens to be one way to control people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about that. How, how did now what? How did you announce to the to the group Nexium that I've had enough and I'm leaving, or did you just leave? Um, I wrote an email just saying that I wanted nothing more to do with Nexium, and I okay. just sort of just left. You know, people don't run and try to stop you. Um, so it was, it was, but it was a, it was a slow. I left slowly. It wasn't like I woke up one day and went, "Ah, oh, I'm out of here," because that's not what happens when your brain, right. you know, right. you takes a while for you to start changing the way you see things because your perspective is so skewed. It took a while. Um, once I saw what was happening with DOS and the branding, and I was being recruited into DOS at that time when it all blew up. You know, that was a big, obviously, red flag. But I still had to do some more homework for myself to really believe that this was real, that was really happening, because I was had been so brainwashed into believing that Keith was for good and that how could you be doing something bad? How could this be happening? So it took a while. Yeah, that does make sense. Is it... So when you first go to Nexium, or I, I'm just saying Nexium because that was the, the culture that you were in, when you first arrive, is there a great joy that you found something really special? How long does that joy last? Well, when I first started taking the curriculum, within like the third day, I was starting to see results on my, for myself. Oh. And, of course, one of the big red flags of cults is called love bombing. 
And that's when everybody treats you like you're special. Everybody's into you. They are paying attention to you. They're guiding you along. And boy, you know, that does feel really good. And so Mm -hmm. that's where the highs kind of started coming from, the combination of me making these changes in myself and having this huge amount of support from all these people who seemed like (laughs) they were all high on the curriculum and all <laughs> well, brainwashed too. <laughs> so, you know, so everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. And so that's a nice thing to be around. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to, you know, realize when, when I look back that, oh my gosh, that was all just a big fake pretend thing. Yeah. Now, how long does that last? <laughs> I would say that lasts uh, pretty much throughout the whole time you're there until you finally figure out you shouldn't be there anymore. And the reason I say that is because, um, you know, I pushed back along the way, right? There are many times when I pushed back against the people that were just above me. Um, And the moment that I started going off what I call off the reservation, (laughs) um, they'd send in the troops and they would say, and, and, you know, talk me back off the ledge and make it seem like whatever I was doing was going against myself. And so, you know, uh, if I did this, you know, I'm not trying to grow or I'm, I'm stopping my growth. And so they would talk me back into it. And that probably happened quite a few times. And then when you get talked back into it, you sort of buy back into the program and that and being happy and, and excited about it again. So that's how that works. That is so amazing. So is there a general timetable, how long it takes to go from, my God, everybody here loves me, to going, eh, they guess they don't really love me as I thought they did? Uh, is it is it a couple of months? Um, is it a year? Yeah. I think for me, it was uh, the disillusion or the disillusion pieces started probably, you know, like about two months in. I'd become a coach. The reason that happened was I had these questions, right? So that my intuition's kind of popping up, and mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel a little disillusioned. And that then the troops would come in, and then they talk me back into it. So I'd say. It's probably different for everyone, but for me, it was probably about two months in. And it would happen regularly, like about once a month, once every two months. I would um, start kind of pitching a fit, and then I would get tossed back down. <laughs> so you pitched a fit, know, did I you, know. Kelly? <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> yeah, what that? the hell, I don't want No, I, I think that's wonderful that you said you pitched a fit, <laughs> which, well, you know, that's fine. That's not a big deal. Um, it, it is yeah, interesting, the human I condition. I called a child. What was that? Oh, I said I would be called a child when I did that. But, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh. Taking the condition? No, no, I, I just, I was, it just fascinates me. That, because, look, Kelly, obviously, when we're children, when we're young adults, then we get older in life, and then we get much older in life, there are always periods when we want to be accepted, we want to be fit in, and we want to fit in, we want people to mm-hmm. like us, we want some people to love us. I mean, I'm, Catherine and I have been together for 42 years now, and I tell her all, all the time that I love her more now than I ever have. It's gotten bigger, not smaller. Mm. Big, you know, Which I take offense yeah. to. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that I love her more. She takes offense to that. No, Kelly. just love me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. But, but that's... Is that what you're looking for? Is that what you're looking for? That acceptance, that love, that hey, look, I'm just one. I'm one of you, and I just want to be liked. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. Everybody wants that, Kelly, right? 
Of course, and that was a big thing for me. I really wanted to belong. And when mm-hmm. you're in a community, being part of that, they really push that belonging part. And that, I think, pulls on a lot of people's heartstrings, belonging and being accepted. I mean, it's a human, it's very, very human. It's, it's part of what makes us emotional human beings. And so that was a big piece for me. And in my book, I talk a lot about that because that acceptance and belonging started way before Nixon. You know, oh, I'd, yeah. always, sure. I'd always struggle sure. with that. And so being, being brought into this community with this love bombing, you know, that just hit for me, hit every course. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I, I literally just it just struck me just now. My my father's mother, my grandmother, I was staying with them when I was I believe five or six years old, and I saw this picture of a barn that I thought my grandmother would really like. So I brought it over to her and I said, "Look at this, Grandma," and she to just kind of joke around with me said. Um, Oh, I don't think it's all that nice. It's an okay barn, but I don't. It's okay, but that's about it. And she said, "My lip got my lower lip got really big." And I looked up at her and I said, "Don't you like the barn, Grandma?" Right? It's the same thing, though. What do you, you don't like the barn, Grandma? I was deeply hurt because I didn't fit into what she liked. It, it was a problem. I do remember that very clearly, Kelly. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're all searching for that. We all want to belong to something or someone. Sure. And and Nick Sam really played into that, especially for me. Well, I mean, this show is a a grand example of that. This show is my wife, our son, our daughter, and me. It's the family. We want to be with our family. We want to spend a lot of time Mm. with our family. Well, I don't know if the kids want to, but we make them. You know. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those deals. Andy and Alex's younger people, what do you think of this whole idea? What do I think of cults? I don't like them. No, I mean fitting in. They are cults. Bad. Bad. See, this is what I get, Kelly. This is what I get in my life, Kelly. Zero stress. No, I mean wanting to be accepted. Thumbs down. Wanting to be loved and be accepted. I mean, that's... It's a whole different. Day. So, what what do you guys think about that whole deal? How how did you do? You remember how you kind of went after it and said, "Hey, I, I want people to like me." Or did well, you not care? Andy and I kind of went opposite directions. I didn't care at all. He didn't care at no, all. He didn't. That's but true, then, yeah. but but you like retreated. Yeah. You were like, "I'm just going to hang out I by just myself." Didn't care about people in general and do my games <laughs> and please leave me alone. Whereas I generally don't care what people think about me. But I am extremely social, and I'm kind of more like, if you don't like me, you don't need to be around me. But then I find people that do like me, and then I buzz around mm-hmm. a lot because I'm just I'm a very social person. But we also, luckily, grew up in a household where we were very supported and loved and appreciated for who we are so it's like if you grew up Mm -hmm. in a household where you didn't get Mm -hmm. much respect and appreciation for being you i could very easily see somebody being like oh this person wants like appreciates me and wants me around and it would be very easy well cults very um deliberately go after people who don't have much they don't have yeah, much support or mm-hmm. they don't have a family or they don't have friends or they're new in town and they're scared and they don't understand what's going on, that kind of thing. They seek out uh, vulnerability because that's the easiest way to manipulate someone is to 
swoop in and be the hero and say, oh, you don't have to worry about any of that. I'll uh, take care of it for you. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any <laughs> question. But I, I don't. I just wanted Kelly to be able to, to respond to that before I, uh, But, uh, see, that's a huge part of it, Alex. It's funny, not funny, but it's interesting you bring that up because in my family, my mother was very accepting, but she wasn't around a lot because she had to work 10, 12 hours a day. My father was not accepting of us all. I never even knew if my father knew who the hell I was, to tell you the truth. So I lived in a, in a very different kind of household. But... Um, the one thing that really helped me a lot, Kelly, and it's I talk about this quite often, uh, my mother, when she was at work and my father was gone, um, the the parents of my friends took me aside and said, you're a nice you're a nice boy, Tom. You'll do just fine and don't worry about it. And if you need anything, just go ahead. The parents in my neighborhood stepped up and really, really helped me. I think I'm extremely lucky. That does not happen to too many people, I don't think. Or does it? Maybe it does. I think we would be extremely lucky to have that happen. Um, but I think, you know, years ago it was probably more common than it is now to have that happen. Um, I think you're probably right about that. But I think that. back to the, yeah, and I think it's going back to the cults and the vulnerability. Yes, they do seek out vulnerability. And there were, uh, there was a program that they used called um, Emotion, or they're called EM, and they basically would seek out those vulnerabilities. And then they'd be used against you. So yeah, if your vulnerability sense. was belonging or your vulnerability was, you know, um, it could be anything, they would go after that and use it against you. So no, I, um, that's what cults do. They're very good at that. They are indeed. You're going to love this paragraph. The candid telling shines a new light on what you thought you knew about the self-help organization. She was awarded the number one bestseller by Amazon Studios following a tsunami of demand during pre-sale. Big shot, Kelly Thiel. That's all I know. Number one bestseller. That's pretty impressive, Kelly. <laughs> Thank you so Don't you much. think? Well, uh, I didn't know you were talking about. <laughs> I didn't know you were. Well, it's part of the, it's part of the descriptor, so you should know now. Who's he talking about? I'm like, what? Oh, God. You're being accepted, Kelly. That's all I'm saying. You're being accepted. That's a good thing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I feel it. I feel it. There you oh, go. Thank you Unapologetically so much. Um, glorious, the power of owning your story without shame or blame. It's available on Amazon and everywhere. Kelly, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being so honest because I'm, hey, look, if you just help one people by, one person by talking about this, that's a wonderful thing, don't you think? Yes, and that's the whole idea. If I could help one person, that would that would make my everything be just come true for me. Kelly, thank, thank you. you. Have a wonderful day. It was such a such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Our pleasure, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly Thiel, ladies and gentlemen. Again, just go to Amazon. Unapologetically, unapologetically <laughs> glorious. The power of owning your story without shame or blame. I thought she was terrific. I thought she was a terrific guest. Very, very honest about the whole deal. Yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting to see uh, or to hear pe- people that have been s- sucked into that kind of world, why it happened and w- what it all means. Well, it is human nature, and Andy and Alex, you can, and particularly you, Alex, can answer this. Uh, but look, I went to Catholic school, so everybody I hung out with, Andy Fisher and the Lorentz and Greg Lundin, and you go down the list, there were other, you know, 
Protestants in the neighborhood that we hung out with, but you know. But no, in general, you want to be accepted by your schoolmates and, and your the people that live in your neighborhood. Uh, well, what she, what what stood out to me when she was talking about the fact that they give you tons of attention mm-hmm. for a while, I mean, that alone, most people don't get tons of attention. That's what, why people want to be celebrities so badly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, people would love think, oh my God, if everybody knew who I was and they loved me and they thought I was wonderful, oh my a God, being a celebrity's really got to be the best thing in the world. <coughs> you know, they don't see any of the downside of it. Right. So I mean, for you to join a community and then all of a sudden everybody's just like, oh, aren't you the greatest? Oh my God, you look so great today. You know, just compliments, compliments, compliments. You're thinking, hey, this is great. No, it is. But on the other hand, Alex, an example of what I'm talking about on the other hand is because it does the people that you like being with and you fit in with and you're comfortable with. I hadn't seen Dana in quite some time, mm-hmm. probably since your wedding, I would guess. Is that about the last time I saw her? No, we hung out at your house a couple times during COVID when everything was shut down. We oh, go to restaurants. We would. You got. Remember when you were in the basement and you were all mad because Dana and I were too loud? That wasn't no. that long ago. Okay, well, I don't remember. You're trying to watch no, Where's Papa for the three thousandth time. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's time to wrap up the show right now, though. That's all I'm saying. You were going to say sister. something about Dana. No, I just think I, I just think it's so nice that you know I don't see her very much. What I see every few years or a couple of years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And every time I see her, it's like I just saw her yesterday. Yeah, Dana's good stuff. She's good people. She's a very nice person. Yeah, she's yeah. very uncomplicated. Very she's honest. Just, thank you very, for that, Dana. Yes. she's. Well, she's a very honest person, which <laughs> I really like. Cassie has to say that clip with Andy. What do I think of cults? Yeah. What do I think of cults? Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting was, question. That was funny. Andy, is there any way we could play that clip? Do I know it's only 45 seconds. Do you have it ready to, on, on, at the ready? I'd like to close with that clip again if you have it. Uh, yeah, she'll just uh, drop it and then hit the outro. You got it. Here it is. I yeah, love no. this Maybe, piece of audio. But for, for people that don't know, Gilbert Gottfried has passed away. He, he died, died yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. And he he's, he's been on the podcast a few times, and Tom's yeah, talked to him times. many times. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, he's been on many, many times. All right, here is the audio, and we'll close it out. Thanks for listening. The audio, you're going to love this with the family. Ron Palillo, another very famous oh, guest. Ron. The show. Yes, it, you know, he had the nose job. <laughs> he looks, uh, now, he's, so he's not Anthony Weiner. He's, he's a different he's person. He's dead, actually. Right. So well, I, I loved when he died, and they did my favorite Stop part. Stop there! I yes. loved when he died. I loved when he died. <laughs> I loved when Ron Polillo died. <laughs> Certain things make me smile. Puppies? <laughs> a, a walk on a summer day yeah. and the death of Ron Polillo. <laughs> We'll be right back. <laughs>